Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I became a big fan of his when I saw him on Last Comic Standing. Became a friend when we worked together on the Smooth Jazz Cruise for many years. He is one of the funniest and smartest comics in the business. And a huge sports fan, too. Alonzo Bowden. Alonzo Bowden on This Lady Loves Sports. Let's go! Welcome to This Lady Loves Sports Podcast with Pat Prescott. Sports. She knows it all and is here to talk about it. So get ready to hear sports talk in a way that you've never heard before. It's This Lady Loves Sports Podcast. And here's your host, Pat Prescott. Hey, this is Pat Prescott for This Lady Loves Sports. And I have a very special guest with us in the studio today, a dear friend who is uh, known for being funny and for being very, very smart and for saying whatever comes to his mind. And we just love that about him. Alonzo Bowden, who is also not, not only a great comic, but also a great sports fan as well. And I welcome you. Thank you, Pat. Thank you. And this is very cool. I knew you were a sports fan, but it's kind of cool you're doing a sports podcast. Yeah. They, you know, they started talking about podcasting. And would, you know, would you like to do one? What do you want to do? And I said, I want to do sports because this is like this is like the career that if I had a, if I felt like working longer then I've already worked, and believe me, I think as as my friends start to retire, I think more and more about joining them. But um, yeah, that would be my my next career would be to do sports because it's just something I love. Well, you know, some someone told me about sports once, and it's really true. It was the original reality show. That's true. Yeah. I've thought that very often that if if you're the kind of person that likes reality shows then you should love sports because what is you've got characters you've got conflict you got drama there's and, a winner there's a loser and you never know what's going to happen you, in between that's the most important <laughs> thing you, or at the end in right. between or at the end too but now when did you first become a lover of sports did you play when you were Well yeah when I was a kid I played uh baseball and I played basketball. I didn't play high school ball, but I, I always loved it. Then when I moved to L.A., I worked at Lockheed, and they had, like, these corporate basketball leagues. And I started doing that. And I actually got to play with some really good ball players um, in my, you know, early adult life, you know, to just pick up games, like, at high level and adult uh, leagues around the Valley and around L.A. So I've always loved basketball. Basketball and baseball and basketball, my two loves. Football, you know, I go in and out on football, but uh, those are my baseball, basketball, and racing, all forms of racing because I'm a car and motorcycle nut. Oh, yes, indeed you yeah. are. That is the truth. <laughs> so were you any good as an athlete yourself? I was pretty good. I was, um, as a basketball player, I was strong. I was, you know, um, I always liked uh, DJ for the Clippers, mm-hmm. right? And the reason was I played the same game. It was like defense and rebounding was what I did. <laughs> I was never never a scorer, but uh, defense, rebounding, banging around. I, I always liked that part of the game. I liked the I I had scorers on a team. We just had a good balanced team, and that was my job, and I loved it. And um, baseball, yeah, I was a pretty good hitter, 
and I loved catching. I love being a catcher because you're involved all the time, and you get to talk smack all the time. People don't realize <laughs> that the catcher is talking to the batter, you know, not Trying not yelling or anything. Yeah, just mm-hmm. saying little things to him. It's fun. So, yeah, I, I was I was pretty good. Not not good enough to make it. You know, it's funny. People see me because I'm a big guy, right? And they're like, "Oh man, did you play pro ball?" And I'm like, "You obviously never met anyone who actually played pro ball. <laughs> if you think I, I mean." Pro athletes, they're, they're in such great shape, especially now, you know, and they're bigger and stronger. Like when you watch an NBA game, nobody looks big because everyone is between 6'5 and 7 feet tall. So you That's think, right. you know, people thought Kobe was like average height. Like Kobe's like 6'7, but he's around people, you know, even Steph Curry. Right. Oh, that's who I was thinking about. You see him, you know, and you say, boy, he's such a little guy. And then when I met him, I'm like, this dude is 6'3". Right, right. I mean, um, Chris Paul is is small. Chris Paul's like, he claims 6'3". They're saying he's 6'3". He claims 6 feet. Chris Paul Paul in heels, you know. (laughs) But, but I mean, he's super quick. You know, I mean, he is like incredibly quick or a guy like Allen Iverson who was a little guy if you saw Allen Iverson he you know he was like 5'11 6 feet maybe 160 170 pounds if you saw him you'd be like and he people say oh this is one of the best scorers in the NBA you'd be like come on <laughs> and then you'd see how quick he can move and you'd be like wait did he just move well you know? when you're small you better be quick yeah yeah, so to so get out of the way of people, I, um, the people I, like you, the 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 foot, the base. Uh, excuse me, the uh, basketball players with a football body. Right, I've done enough <laughs> that I respect. You know, you can when you've played something, I think you appreciate more how great they are. And I've been was lucky enough to play with a few pro basketball players. My well, a guy on our team and a good buddy of mine. His nephew was Tracy Murray, who was the star at UCLA, who had a great NBA career. And Tracy used to play with us. And when you'd watch NBA players play, there was also in the 80s in Van Nuys was the NBA rehab. So we played ball. We played pickup ball at Valley College, and they would come over and work out with us. And when you get to see a pro athlete at pro level, like when you see an NBA player play at NBA level, you're like, Oh, this is a different game. This is something I'm not familiar with. This is not with. what we're doing. No, this isn't. This is done much faster and higher and stronger. I mean, it, it's amazing. And in baseball, you know, get in the cage and turn the speed all the way up. You know, watch a baseball come at you at 90 miles an hour from 60 feet away. And now you have pitchers at 100 miles an hour. And we're not talking about a curveball, which just disappears. You know, I mean, baseball players pick up the pitch, leaving the pitcher's hand. Like, that's when they decide to swing. And again, you see everyone doing it, and you see it on TV. So you really don't get the perspective of standing there when this guy's throwing the ball at you that quick. You know, I think the best I heard, somebody went up against Nolan Ryan. I can't remember who it was. But it was one of those charity things. Mm-hmm. And they said, what's it like, you know, going against Nolan Ryan? He said, best three pitches I ever heard. <laughs> best I ever heard. Didn't see a thing, you know. So, but I love it. I, I love it. That's the truth. You know, I think about that sometimes when people get hit by a pitch. You're like, oh, it's just they just got hit by a ball. That is, but a ball is coming at you that fast and that yeah. hard. That's no joke of an injury. Yeah, it's a, it's a missile. But again, they're they're they work out. They're tough, and they're all playing on that level, you know. So, 
Yeah, I, so I appreciate sports. Yeah. I appreciate that talent, the discipline, the work, and the artistry, and the teamwork. That's what I miss most about playing basketball, being part of a team. That was fun. It, it's something that, you know, like kids, it, it's good for kids to play sports to do that, to be part of a team working on a common goal. You just learn a lot. And, you and you know, as a, as a boy becoming a man, you do learn to tough it up, you know, get tough. And yet uh, a friend of mine, her, her son, he's six years old, and he's such a little boy. And I said, oh, yeah, get used to seeing blood because that's what little <laughs> boys do. Yeah, he's bouncing off things. And she's like, oh, my God. I said, nah, he'll be all right. And he'll they'll survive. Right. You yeah, know. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's how you become a man. You toughen up. Yeah. So was sports a big thing for your family? Was it like community? Oh, yeah. Did you guys like, what, what was that? Yeah, I grew up like? in, a, in a house full of Mets fans. My mom was the biggest Met fan and we grew up, and we were also New York sports fans. And when you're a New York sports fan, you love and hate your team at the same time. Oh, hell, especially if they're the you Knicks. Know. Yeah, it, it, you know, it was, we There's were, more hating than loving sometimes. We were Mets, Jets, and Knicks. That was that was pretty much the family teams. And um, we loved the Mets. I remember going to a lot of Met games going up, growing up. Uh, the Jets were always bad. You know, they they just after that one great season with Namath, they mm -hmm. just sucked all through the seventies into the eighties. And um, <clears throat> trying to see what's Knicks, happening with them now. You know, the Knicks were this. I'll tell you my Knicks story. Okay, so I grew up. I'm a Knicks fan, and I I moved to L. A. and I become a Clippers fan. Now I love the Lakers, and in the eighties, Showtime was the hot thing. But the reason we loved the Clippers was you could go to a Clipper game for nothing. <laughs> you could go to a Clipper game for ten bucks, you know, whatever. So we used to go to Clipper games because it's only three, four thousand people in a sports arena, and it's fun, and it's an NBA game. So they they started to get good. So I I would go to the game. So I went to a game. It, the Clippers were playing the Knicks, and I had on a Knicks T-shirt and a Clippers jacket. And my boys were like, all right, pick one right now. Can't have both. Can't have both. So I just said, all right, I'm going with the Clippers from now on. So, And now, you know, the Clippers are, are bad. I mean, I just got, you know, I'm a season ticket holder, and you get the ticket things. I got a thing that they were selling the $15 tickets for $13. I'm like, when you discount in the $15 tickets, <laughs> you are not exactly predicting a great season. But the good thing about being a Clipper fan and a Met fan is disappointment is nothing new to me. See, Laker fans had a few bad years and they were crying because they're not used to losing. Almost lost their minds. If you're a Clipper fan losing, that's nothing new. That, yeah, we're here. We're good. <laughs> and almost any improvement is like, you know, is I mean, the, hey, the Clippers were balling the last few yeah. years. I don't it know what kinda... their I don't know what their strategy is now. The, I don't the big either. three, all three of them are gone. And I don't know what the strategy is on rebuilding, but it's still just fun to go to an NBA game. You know, it it's I enjoy it. So it's kind of my escape. So I'll be there. I'll be there. Uh, sort of rooting for the Clippers. And well, if watching. nothing else, you can get great material for your comedy shows. Well, yeah, the Clippers have always <laughs> been comedy. You know, the funniest thing about the Clippers, and this is in the 80s and 90s when they were really bad, they would advertise players from the other team. Yeah, come see Charles Barkley beat the Clippers. Come see Carl Malone beat the Clippers. It was the strangest <laughs> thing. They'd be like, they'd advertise who's coming to town. But 
you know, hey, I guess they got to sell tickets. <laughs> <laughs> now, growing up, um, you guys watched a lot of uh, sports at home on, yeah. on TV. Absolutely, yeah. We watched uh, again. Baseball was big. We love we love the Mets. I got to see the amazing Mets. You know, '69 Mets, Tom Seaver, Tommy Agee, all of those guys. So that was a lot of fun. Basketball, you know, it was Willis Reed. It was it was Walt Frazier. You know, people forget. Everyone talks about Jordan with the shoes. They forget about Clyde Pumas. You know, Walt Frazier had style, and and these suede Pumas came out, and they're called Clyde Pumas. They were his shoe, and everybody wanted those, you know. So, uh, yeah, but watching those Knicks with Earl of Pearl Monroe and all of that, I mean, it was a different era in the NBA, but they were great players. There were great players uh, on the teams back then, and the game was obviously a lot more physical. And then when you got into the the 80s NBA, you know, that that Nick team would when, you know, Ewing and Oakley and I mean, yeah, that late 80s, early 90s. Physical. Yeah, you want to talk. They taught Michael Jordan to shoot a jumper. They were like, Mike, if you come in here, we're going to kill you. They were fun to watch. <laughs> they were fun to watch. And that was it our, was, our uh, last best hope, man, because but but unfortunately we were in the era of Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. You had to, everyone. <laughs> everyone then had to go up against Jordan. And the one good run they had against Houston, you know, John Starks got cold. Um, he was a great shooter, but he got cold in a big game. That's what happened to shooters. Shooters get hot and cold streaks, yeah. so it was almost... So it's a shame that, that Ewing never got his championship. But a whole lot of other know. people never got their championship. Yeah, I mean, you look at one, Look at Barkley. I mean, look at uh, Stockton and Malone. Yeah. I mean, all these people in that same era. Jordan ruined a whole lot of people's lives. Well, <laughs> and, you know, it was a different era because now they would get together and play on one team. Oh, yes, you they know, would. They, and, and, you know, something, I'm okay with that. I mean, a lot of people don't like it. And now you look at like Golden State. Now I just wish it wasn't Golden State because they're a rival to the home team. But I can't blame somebody. And also these guys are friends. They're like, hey man, you want to play ball with? You know, we've you've already got money, right? You've got hundreds of millions of dollars. So what else is there to play for? So you join a team. That's and right. and also growing up, you know, and always I've always been. A Mets fan, but this is the way it works for me. I'm a Mets fan until they get eliminated. Then I'm a Yankee fan. Cause the yes, Yankees. I'm glad to hear you and say the Yankees, that. <laughs> the Yankees used to stack the team, and everyone would say it was free agents, but it wasn't. It was a core team supplemented by free agents. You know, guys like Jeter and uh, Bernie Posada, um, Mariano Rivera, mm. they all came up through the Yankee Thank organization. Thank you. And that, the Yankees did it the right way. Right. They, they brought were, those kids up through the farm season. They supplemented farm, them with, with other players, but it was fun to watch them because they were a great team. And it's also fun, you know, like they're saying with Golden State, they're, they're the team people love to hate. There's a certain fun to be in that, you know. Um, you know, I'm, Steph Curry, he's a great shooter. But I can't be a, a Curry fan because I can't be a Golden State fan. You know what I mean? But I respect his game. Mm-hmm. His game is great. Um, so I don't blame these guys if they're friends and they know each other and they're like, look, I already made my money. I built my name. I want to get a ring. Let's go play together in blank. And, you know, people are discounting LeBron. You know, LeBron, I mean, all due respect to, to Michael, all due respect to Kobe, particularly with Kobe, if you gave Kobe some of those teams LeBron had, he wouldn't have made the finals. Thank you. LeBron went to the finals with one team that could have been you and me 
and I believe his name's Anthony, your sound engineer, mm-hmm. and somebody walking down the hall. <laughs> yeah, you know, he was just like, "Yeah, you four, let's go. Where, where are we going? NBA Finals? I got this." You know, it's it's incredible what he's done. And the best description I heard uh, on one of the jazz cruises, we had a guy, and I wish I could remember his name, but he was an NBA ref. And we got to, and you know, you, this is someone who's on the court mm-hmm. watching the game. So we talked, and he said he refereed with Michael, he refereed with Kobe. He refereed with Malone, you know, uh, Magic, all of that, that whole era. I think he was on court refing from like 85 to the late 90s. Mm-hmm. And then he became a supervisor. He said, I was never on the court with LeBron. He said, but there's never been anyone like LeBron. He said, LeBron James was is Carl Malone's size with Michael Jordan's skills. You know, and and I've always said that LeBron isn't the next Michael; he's the first LeBron. Right, and he and he so, is still evolving. Yeah, I mean, it's, he's got a three point shot now, which yeah, he, we never thought he would have. He's incredible, and I've been lucky enough to see him play. I uh, as a fan, there are a couple of things that I I haven't. I regret that I never got to see Tiger play golf in his prime. I would have liked to see that. And I haven't seen Serena play tennis. So those are two things on my sports bucket list that I need to do, that I need to make an effort to go out and see. But I've been lucky enough to see so many other players. Even when we, when I was a kid in New York, when Willie Mays came back to New York from San Francisco to play for the Mets, we went to that game and he hit a home run. And it was like a whole stadium you know, I still get chills. Like the whole stadium teared up. Like Willie Mays came back, and I was still a little kid, but I still knew what that meant. You know, Willie Mays was to say, "Hey, kid," that was, and he was back in New York. So, so sports gives you those memories. Yeah, yeah. It really, really does. Now, when you look back at at how you used to watch sports when you were growing up at home, and then you look at the situation that we have today, which is so unique with DVR, with the proliferation of channels. We've got CBS Sports, ESPN Sports, NBC Sports that have all these different channels now that are covering some things that that should not be shown on television. (laughs) (laughs) they got to fill up the hours, and they do with some crazy, weird things. Talk a little bit about uh, what our sports viewing situation is like these days and how that has all changed. Well, I'll tell you a couple of things about that. And it's funny you talk about the crazy, weird sports, because when ESPN started, which was 79, 80, when they became a network, and a lot of people don't remember this, they had to fill time. They did. And they would show things. And one of the things they would show late at night was curling. And my brother and I would, we'd be, we were like, what is, what are they, and we would laugh. And now people know what curling is. And I'm like, man, we were watching curling. You, you just get, you just getting your broom now. Keep up. You know, I, I, I like the fact that you can watch anything. And like you said, with DVR and, and sports networks, you can kind of watch it when you want to. Uh, There are some things I don't. I'm not a fan of the Little League World Series on TV. I think it's too much pressure on those little kids. I think, you know, we forget these kids are 11 and 12 years old. Think back to when you were 11 or 12. Now think of batting on national TV. And also, even if you do well, where does your life go from there? Unless you have the talent to become a pro ball player. Like, do you want to look back? Yeah, man, my life peaked at 11. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh man, you should have seen me at eleven. I just think I think they should leave them alone. Let them be kids. Let them play. Maybe maybe once they win, invite them on to ESPN and let them you know, meet some major league ball players or something like that. I think that would be great. But we have a different culture now. You think we about do. it. I mean, because these people are on social media. Kids are on social media. You know, they're already into being out there in a way that we never were. Right. But the problem is everyone's making money off of them, just like college sports. Everyone's making money off of them except the athlete. And in college, it's one thing because if you're an elite college player, you're going to be a pro or you're going to at least get a shot at the pros. But And it's just me. You know, I listen, I could be dead wrong about this, but I just don't think that we need to be putting the 11 and 12 year olds on TV. It's too, you go to school, now you're a celebrity, but you're also a target. Right, and that's stuff. true. And you know what? Mm-hmm. And see, this is, the, this is my problem with it. Nobody follows up. So we don't know how they're going to be at 15. You know what I mean? Nobody cares. They care about you for that. And then after that, nobody cares about you. So, you know, and you know how life is. Life is peaks and valleys. Well, that's a really high peak. And if you don't have the right support system or whatever, when you hit the valley after it, you know, that could be really like just weird. Like, I I don't know. Again, just me. I, I don't think that those kids, I think they're too young to take advantage of, and that's what they do. They take advantage of them because, again, none of these so-called amateurs, when you get to the college level, they don't get paid, and they're, they're making millions upon millions of dollars for everybody to coach the university, the this, the that. You know, when you have cases like a couple of years ago with Terrell Pryor where he got in trouble for selling his jersey but the school could sell his jersey. Which is just... <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, make that make sense. So, How ridiculous is that? The, and the other thing, and this is an NFL thing, okay? We have enough analysis. You know, if they were to analyze, I don't know, Congress, the way they analyze the NFL, it Congress might work. Maybe. I mean, every play, there's, you know, the guy in the booth, and then there's the, the, the color commentator... Then there's the the halftime commentator. Then there's well, you got the pregame. Then you got the postgame. Then Monday you got the Monday review of the whole weekend. And then Tuesday you got reviewing what was said Monday. Then Wednesday we got a review, but we also got a plan for the next week. Well, they got to fill in the space between Sunday and right. Thursday. And then there's sports <laughs> talk this and and it's all about you know the edge for gambling, which they don't mention at all. But you know that's a big part. But yeah, it's like. You know, the guy threw the ball and another guy caught it. We we can only talk about this for so, but so much. And if you talk to the players, even they're not analyzing it to that level. You know what I mean? They they know, and they, I like when a good analyst gives some inside stuff. You know, a lot of people don't like Alex Rodriguez, but he's great in the booth because yeah, he's, he's telling doing a good you job in there, he's telling you what the pitchers thinking, what mm-hmm. the hitters think, because he's he was there and he did it. Or like a Troy Aikman who was, you know, multiple times in the Super Bowl, blah, blah, blah. And he's telling you what the quarterback is looking at, what the quarterback is seeing. I I love that. But it's it's the other one, especially the, the sports talk people on the radio. Like, you know, shut up. Well, a lot of this is born <laughs> out of having all of these options now and having this 24-hour news cycle with sports. Right, you got to fill it. Like they're filling the space, and so they fill it with a lot of stuff yeah, sometimes. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's difficult to sort through. Some of them are really funny. 
those are the ones I like, the funny ones. I think you, know. you should only interview people who have a personality because, I mean, a lot of these, I hate a lot of the, the, the those interviews they do with the coaches in the middle of the games. The only time I really like him is if it's Popovich because then he's he's going to be entertaining. Yeah, he's Pop, gonna say Pop's going to just give you a cliche. He's going to say Pop something should, irrelevant. He should just walk <laughs> by and just say, that. cliche number three, and keep walking. <laughs> cliche number one. Yeah, Pop, because it is ridiculous. But it's what, all cliches. Is when he going to give away his strategy <laughs> in the midst of the no. game? Yeah. When they interview these people, though, at the end of the game, like, we we play, we just played our game. We just come in here and play our game. and It's a game oh, of defense, and we try to work as a team. They could get rid of that you know, stuff. That, yeah. And, or the other thing that would be funny is if a coach went super into detail about, you know what I mean? <laughs> and just like, like just threw in the terminology and cause they see things differently. You know what I mean? They, they know the game more so than we do and they do dumb it down for us. But what if, what if he just went into a really difficult, involved explanation of a, of a certain play. I think they should have that, comedians like write their whole thing for them. And then, I mean, really make it entertaining for, you know, I, that's one of the things I missed the most about Shaq after he retired, you know, because he was funny. He was funny. Yeah. I mean, half the time you couldn't understand what he no. was saying, but <laughs> Barkley, Barkley is naturally funny. We, we mm -hmm. had this debate. Uh, Neil Brennan, great comic and friend of mine, had this debate of who's the funniest guy in the NBA, Barkley or Blake Griffin. So Neil <laughs> said Blake, but, you know, they're personal friends. I uh -huh. think Neil was a bit biased. But I think Barkley is naturally funniest because you talk about someone who don't care. <laughs> Sir Charles no don't care. Question. He will say anything about anybody. <laughs> and you can't argue with him because he's been there. Right? It's kind of lovable Charles about Barkley. him, actually, yeah. in a weird way, you know? Yeah, so I, can... I like him. I like that. But yeah, Shaq can be funny. His whole Shaq in a fool thing uh -huh. is funny. And again, it's another guy who's been there. It's like, what are you going to tell Shaq? You exactly. Know? Other than how to shoot free throws. We can't talk about that. But uh, other than that... <laughs> There's not too much you're going to tell him. Yeah, personality. We need more personalities in that. Now, you were talking about uh, the Little League World Series. What do you think about the spelling bee? That's that's kind of cool. Uh, it's kind of cool, the spelling bee, because it, it, we didn't even think of it as a sporting event, you know, and the fact that they made it into one. But it uh, is. But it's it, got the drama. It's got oh, the yeah, competition. Absolutely. It's a competition. It's, no, it I'm, really is. I'm not saying it's not. Again... I'm uh, just curious. How did the spelling bee get on the sports station? ESPN did it. I don't know. Do you know who, anything behind the story? No, I don't know. I'm sure they, there was some producer or somebody who said, "Hey, this is interesting. Let's put it on." And I think they used to they'd show highlights of people spelling a really difficult word. And I always thought that was kind of cool. But again, I think that we just have to be really careful about putting little kids on the national stage. Like yeah, that, you know. Yeah, you're um, right because you know the part of it is the losing. You know, when people yeah. lose, that is a hard thing. I hate it at the end of a game, like when they're showing the fans of the losing team. I mean, you know, people are crying. Right. These are not your. This is not your best moment. You and know? unfortunately, people are not nice. Oh, <laughs> you know. Really? So so they they'll <laughs> they'll hit these kids on social media, and they are kids. And it does hurt, you know. Um, but again, it, it's business, it's money. They're they're going to do it, and it's part of the game. I think yeah. part of one of the things you have to learn in life is is how to lose, you know, and and how yeah, to lose but gracefully. Learn how to lose before you're on ESPN. 
I feel you. That makes <laughs> you a know, lot of sense. If you're twelve years old, <laughs> if you're twelve years old, maybe you shouldn't learn how to lose in front of eight million people on TV. Yes, it yeah. could kind of destroy your self-esteem for yeah. the rest of your yeah. life, damage you yeah. significantly. Well, a couple of other things I wanted to talk to you about. One is, uh, um, first of all, the whole. Um, national anthem controversy. I'm sure that you've had some thoughts about that and what has evolved since Colin Kaepernick decided to take a knee. And and boy, the who would have thought the repercussions would reverberate the way that they have? Well, I, I support Kaepernick a thousand percent. He's right. You know, there is a problem with police violence and uh, racial inequality in the entire justice system. And and nike for for the support they did and the ad they did was great you know the people who argue it i i don't buy it for a minute i mean you know i'm not even going to get into trump because that's just nonsense but the the arguments against it are so ridiculous because it's like you know what he's talking about so don't pretend this isn't uh this isn't an insult to the troops you know people always talk about the troops the truth let me let me tell i've been lucky enough to have entertained the troops around the world. And and these men and women do an incredible job and they, they leave home and this and that. You know what? If we support the troops, how about every American pays $10 a year extra in taxes and that money only goes to the military? Say that and be, oh, more taxes. See, it's like, so shut up. You don't care about the troops. You're not willing to really support the troops. You just want to say it as your backdoor way of of attacking black people. And it's not even a dog whistle racism anymore. It's a bullhorn. Um, So I think the, the NFL has a big image problem. I think the NFL has the image problem of the white owners and the black players and they they the owners, it's been shown, not all, but so many of them actually don't respect the players. I think the the NFL needs to revamp its entire image. It's hard for me. I don't have a team. I'm, I wouldn't say I'm an NFL fan. I'll watch a game if I'm if I'm there. I don't go out of my way to watch the NFL anymore. And it's not just that. It's not even uh, Colin Kaepernick and the related players protesting. It's the the crime problem they've had in the league. It's the, again, the owner's lack of respect. It's the fact the players don't have guaranteed contracts. The players are just a piece of meat and you get hurt and then you're, you're done. Like, I don't understand how the players, great players, don't hold out every season. Like LeVon yeah. Bell mm. or Darrell Reeves. I'd be like, yeah, every season I'm holding out for a signing bonus because the first time I lose a step or get hurt, you, you cut me. And the consequences and, are dire for right. football players. I mean, that's a whole nother story to talk about. And, and you know. it shortens your life. Yeah. And I'm not against, like, listen, if you're an adult. If you choose to do this for a living, knowing the risks, that's fine. It, it's a tough physical thing. It's hard on the body. That's all good. But, um, yeah, the, the, the protests, you know, it. I mean, you look back at it and they showed, like, the whole national anthem thing was a whole marketing thing that they made money on doing. It had nothing to do with you know, we love the United States. It was like, yeah, we love money, which I guess is saying you love the United States. <laughs> um, so it showed that, you know, like people have been saying, uh, Colin Kaepernick and Nike have been shown to be on the right side of history. And now that Nike's stock has come up and they're making more money and selling more shoes, I think a, a lot of other companies will be like, hey, maybe we should do the right thing. 
Hmm. <laughs> there might be money in doing the right thing. Not, not so much do the right thing Never as do the money thing. Never thought of that. <laughs> yeah, so. that's kind of what that is. I just wish that people would um, actually hear. There would be conversation that would let people hear what the real reason right. is, and, and that's. I think it's op- I think it's kind of clouded in all of this. And I wish that that Colin Kaepernick would say it more. You know, it's yeah. almost like he started doing it at the beginning and then after that um, just knelt. And, you know, then when other people joined him, there was not enough discussion. It's right. a kind of thing. We live in a world right now where you've got to say it, say it again and say it again. And then it's got to go on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. It's got to be you've got to really spread your message. Yeah. Although he's been silent the whole time. Exactly. Like when he kneeled, he just knelt. And then they asked him why. And he said, why? You know, another thing, and this, this bothered me, when the, Nike came up with the ad, and you, you got to believe in something enough that you sacrifice everything, right? And people, oh, what does he sacrifice? He's not a soldier. He didn't die in a war. You know what he sacrificed? You know how much he must love football? To be from a little kid, this has his, been his dream. Like, if you think about it like that, it would be like, I can't imagine giving up comedy for anything. Mm-hmm. That's what he sacrificed. Yeah. He sacrificed something that he loved doing his whole life, and he made it to the highest level, and he sacrificed it. So so when you say he didn't sacrifice anything, shut up. <laughs> Stop being, you know, it. that false equivalency and that pulling out the troops and all that, you really, really, well, well Donald Trump, uh, he didn't have fallen arches or whatever your excuse was for not going to war, you know? Um, he could say more, but he's been silent the whole time, so I'm okay with his silence. Yeah. We know what he's protesting. Let you know Anyone who pretends they don't know. There are a few people who are truly that ignorant that they don't understand it, but very few. But the, the people talking publicly about it, they know exactly what he's protesting. They're feigning ignorance to, to fan their, their racist-based. Yeah. I, I can feel that as well. Well, the last thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, about your favorite sports memory, something that uh, stands out uh, that's, that's happened related to sports to this, you in your life. I love that you told me you were going to ask me this because it, there's an absolute event and it's coming back. If you're listening to this podcast, go to the Olympics. The greatest sporting event I've ever been to was the 84 Olympics in L.A., I was lucky. I had a friend who worked for ABC. ABC was televising. So every morning he could go to the office and they just had like a basket and he would grab a handful of tickets. We didn't know what we were going to. We went. I got to see Carl Lewis jump. I got to see Michael Johnson run. Um, the At that time, this is before 9-11 and, and crazy security and all that the Olympic Village was open. It was at USC. So at night, you, we could go to the Olympic Village, and the athletes that had already competed would just be there partying. And you could just walk around. And we met Evander Holyfield, who at that time was as country as could be. It was comical. He was like, because <laughs> he got robbed. He got cheated, and everyone knew it. He should have won the gold medal. And but he was like afraid of the crowd because he was from some little tiny town in Georgia. Um, I got to watch boxing sitting behind some guy named Sidney Poitier. 
You know, it was, I'm telling you, Pat, it was the most amazing thing. The pin trading, you get these Olympic pins. Every sport, every team has a pin, and you trade them with people from all around the world. They collect them. I still have a lot of my pins from that. But the greatest moment within all of those great moments, I got to see the USA basketball team, which just happened to be (laughs) Patrick Ewing, Barkley, Jordan, Chris Mullen, and I forget who who else. And it, but they were in college. The dream team. This, but it was before, <laughs> before the, dream. the dream team. It was they before were in the college, dream. and Bobby Knight was a coach, and it was amazing. Yeah, to to go to an Olympics is is the most amazing sporting event because the world comes together, and they, and they play. And the, and the athletes are, and you get to see sports that you know nothing about, but the, but you get just to see it, and you get to see the qualifying runs. You know, it's crazy. The Coliseum was crazy because they do more than one sport at a time when they're qualifying. It's like this giant outdoor thing. So you have people running on the track, and they may be doing the shorter distances on one side, but then over in the pit. Some some people are throwing a javelin, right? And cr- just when discus throwing, and then just the long absolutely <laughs> amazing. Like we went to equestrian. We're like, what are we watching? I don't know. I have no idea. But these horses are jumping over stuff, and you know, it's just yeah. The Olympics is if you have a chance in your life to go to an Olympiad, it is the most amazing event because of not just the sports and the competition, the entire spirit of the event and the people. And that the world is coming together. The world is coming together. In it, a peaceful was, way. <laughs> it was great. And and again, this was in 84, so politi- a lot of things were different. But, but what L.A. did, like they, they wouldn't allow commercial traffic on the freeways during rush hour. And a lot of people left town because they're like, oh, it's going to be. So it was easy to get from venue to venue. You could get from USC to UCLA to watch games and stuff like that. You know, now that would be like, well, yeah, I'll be there tomorrow. You know. Yeah. Well, but, the, well, the the, the uh, Olympics will be here. What is it? 2028. 2028. Yeah, so you've got 10 years to get your act together. Yeah, they got 10 years to get this subway system together, get this the, public the transfer. That and, would be really nice if yeah. they get the And they're going to have to redo the Coliseum one more time. But we should have the new football stadium, and there should be the new basketball arena where the Clippers will be playing out in Inglewood, right? Just mm-hmm. build something yeah. out there. So, I mean, it'll be, it'll, it works out. That's the thing. There's always a talk right up to an Olympics. It's not going to be ready. It's not going to blah, blah, blah. And then it happens. I, I didn't go to London, but I have friends who were there, and they said London was amazing. They said London was a really good one. So I know the one in, in uh, Sochi, was this, no, not Sochi, the one in Russia. Where was that? Maybe it was. I forget. But they said that one. They didn't quite have the facilities ready, but it's L.A. L.A. Hey, will LA, be. L.A.'s ready. L.A. Be, <laughs> will be ready to throw a party. And uh, definitely. I look forward to it. I, I don't know if you'll have a basket of tickets this time I know, around. I, but, I yeah. don't have a guy. <laughs> Anything's easier when you got a guy. I'm telling you, man, you got to have a guy. You got to have a guy. So I don't know. <laughs> well, I tell you what, I can't wait for you to come back and, and do another episode with us. Uh, always enjoy talking to you, Zoe. And you got to check out his latest uh, CD, Man Overboard. Yes, some available the, on Amazon and iTunes. Some of the 
funny jokes that he tells on the smooth jazz cruises and, and wherever you might find him in a comedy club around you. Sign up for Alonzo's mailing list, too, at alonzobowden.com. That's B-O-D-D-E-N. Thank you, Pat. It's so great to see you, man, as always. <laughs> Definitely. This lady loves sports, and so does Alonzo. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.